Welcome to Sexology, a podcast that untangles the science of sex and pleasure. And now, with this week's episode, your host, clinical psychologist, Dr. Nazanin Moali. Hello and welcome to another episode of Sexology Podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Nazanin Moali. I hope you guys enjoying the change of the weather as I'm recording this episode. It's toward the end of the winter and I'm super excited for spring. This is my favorite time of the season. And also, speaking of changes, I wanted to share with you guys that in few weeks I start releasing bonus episodes. There are a couple of reasons for it. One is that I feel we don't talk about mental illnesses, mental diagnosis and this show enough and its impact on sexuality. Because sometimes I get clients and as you guys know, I'm a psychologist and they're talking about their struggles with sexuality. But when we explore things, we realize they're there are other things like depression, anxiety, OCD, and all of those struggles are the main reason they're uh, having sexual issues. So I thought it would be interesting to have bonus episodes talking about various conditions and their impacts on your sexuality. It's going to be a opt-in show. So look for it on the show notes. It's going to be start, all start hopefully in two weeks. Today, we're going to talk about uh, how to keep passion alive in long-term relationship. That's part of our conversation. And also we're going to talk about uh, how you can explore your dark sexual energy and how you can awaken a thrill and novelty in your relationship and in yourself so you can have awesome, exciting sex that I know many, at least many of my clients and colleagues are missing in their long-term relationship. Our guest is Dr. Cheryl Fraser. She's a clinical psychologist and sex therapist. She's the author of Buddha's Bedroom, The Mindful Loving Path on Sexual Passion, and lifelong intimacy. She also writes for Mindful Best Help, Thrive Global, and other publications. Her online course for couples, Become Passion, will launch in summer of 2019. Without further ado, here's my conversation with Dr. Cheryl Fraser. Hello and welcome to another episode of Sexology Podcast. It's my honor to have Dr. Cheryl Fraser on our show today. Dr. Cheryl, welcome to our show. Oh, it's just delightful to be here. I'm so looking forward to our spirited conversation today. So for our listeners that you guys just tune in, it's very interesting that I had a technical problem. <laughs> and we had a, like 10 minutes conversation, which was so awesome. So it's, it is take two. And thank you, Dr. Cheryl, for your understanding and flexibility. So Dr. Cheryl is a psychologist and a sex therapist and a published author. And I recently read her book, which was fantastic. And I thought it was relevant to many of the questions I get from our clients. I know that one of the common questions I hear is how to keep passion alive in a long-term relationship. And uh, the book was part of it was kind of addressing this. So I'm kind of curious to hear your perspective that is it possible to keep passion alive in a long-term relationship? In a word, yes, it is possible, but I'm a realist. I'm a clinical psychologist, couples therapist, sex therapist like you are. And even though it's possible, the majority of long-term couples 
don't do a good job of keeping passion alive. And you'll notice as we use this phrase, keeping passion alive, keeping is implying a verb. It implies that we need to take some effort and energy and intentionality to our love and sex life to revive and thrive sexually. And it's very helpful to mention that most of us have experienced, most of our friends and clients have experienced that in the early days of falling in love and lust, it's pretty easy to have a lot of passion. And I like to mention to people that the biochemistry of falling in love, what's called the limerence phase or other words for it, the biochemistry actually mimics the biochemistry of obsessive compulsive disorder. This is accurate information. What that means is our mind is subsumed with serotonin and dopamine and oxytocin, and we are obsessed with the object of our affection. We think about them all the time. We feel thrilled. We feel excited. We feel compulsively checking our messages or fantasizing about them, and it often feels super easy. The sex is often very dynamic. We're very turned on when we get together. Sex is at the forefront of our mind and our intention. Heck, we wear nice underwear because we figure they're going to see it tonight. And this is one of the most glorious aspects of a relationship, but it is time limited. What I like to tell people is imagine you're on the world's greatest roller coaster ride. It's so fun. It's so exciting. This is the roller coaster of falling in lust and love. But remember, it is a roller coaster ride and it's eventually going to end and pull into the station. And then what do you do? Do you dump the person you're with because the thrill seems to have subsided and get into a new roller coaster and do it over and over and over again? Some people choose that model. The majority of us choose a model of some variation on a longer term commitment. And that's where we run into the biochemical and psychological reality that our lust and love and passion tend to fade. Now, can passion stay strong in a long-term relationship? As I said, in a word, yes, but dot, dot, dot. It takes energy, it takes effort, and it takes making your love life a priority. Don't sit around and wait for lust to sweep you up the way it used to in the early days. Your biochemistry, your psychology, and your priorities have shifted. You're nesting, you're building your mortgage, your house, your kids, your life, your careers, and you're not obsessively compulsively in love anymore, but you can recreate a sense of novelty. Here is where the rather unique title of my book implies you need to bring your head into bed. The title of the book is Buddha's Bedroom. What an odd title in a way to bring Buddhism, the study of the mind, of uh, focus, of meditation, of, of our conceptual mind into our sex life. You Betcha, because novelty is in our mind. Feeling excited is a mind state. And I like to point out the following to people. Let's say you've been in a relationship with one person for 10 or 15 years, and you're really bored with your mate. Here <laughs> I like to say, your mate isn't boring. If they met a new person at work or at the gym who was fascinated with your mate, your mate would be the most interesting person in the world. The boredom doesn't lie in your mate. The boredom lies in your own mind. And here's where we need as couples, if we want a dynamic love life, a dynamic romantic life, and a dynamic sexual life, we need to cultivate the three keys to passion and create passion, refresh and renew passion over and over again. 
I love that. And I think it's such an interesting way of kind of presenting how our relationship kind of like energy changes because part of it is the biochemistry. And I know some of my clients, they're feeling like they're in France that, oh my God, I don't have that thrill and excitement about having sex with my partner like a year and a half, two years into the relationship. This relationship is possibly doomed. What I'm hearing from you is that This is kind of the nature and the cycle of the relationships. But I guess the wonderful news is, is something that if we are conscious about it, we can keep keep it alive. So tell us about the three steps that you mentioned, three elements, the triangle that you introduce in your book so our listeners can kind of see it in a different perspective. Most certainly. So the way I like to help people to remember the what I call the three keys to passion, and I use the image of a triangle that you need three, you know, equally strong sides. This is this is what to aspire to as a couple. Let's have all three of these keys, and I call them thrill, intimacy, and sensuality. And we want to build each of these sides of our triangle strong. The culmination of having a strong passion triangle is, of course, passion. I'll. I'll speak a little more about thrill. We've more or less covered that. But the thrill side is that sense of excitement and spark and interest and intrigue with each other that comes naturally and easily, usually early in a relationship, but that takes some effort and energy later in a relationship. Your spouse of 20 years is a fascinating person this day if you have the eyes to see them. If I'm eating a delicious little piece of chocolate right now and I I really scent the chocolate and I place it on my tongue and I let it melt and I really, I let the world fade away for a moment or two and I really experience the silky delicacy of that chocolate, it is profoundly enjoyable, is it not? I don't turn to you and say, ah, gee, I've had a hundred chocolates before. That was boring. I've never said that about chocolate, have you? (laughs) (laughs) And that's a state of mind where we're bringing interest to this particular chocolate in this particular moment. To create thrill with chocolate, we just have to show up, be mindful and present with the experience. Aha. If we apply that same thinking to our romantic and erotic sexual relationship, if I can show up, let the world fade away, be mindful and focused and pay attention to and experience the delicacy of the touch of your finger on the back of my hand or the feeling of your lips and tongue as we kiss, it becomes supercharged and delicious and delightful. So the the quick teaching behind all of that is we can recreate novelty. We can recreate thrill. And that's one of the three sides of passion. The next side, we won't spend a lot of time on, but I'll refer to it. I cover it in the book and many other good teachings around is what I call the intimacy side. We've got thrill, intimacy, and sensuality. Intimacy, I don't mean that here as a euphemism for sex. I mean it as more the relationship, friendship, psychological, spiritual connection of our relationship. How well do we manage conflict? How well do we communicate about things? How well do we really share our inner worlds and what's happening in the ups and downs and the goods and bads? That is a key part of our sex life in a long-term relationship in the most simple way most of us are aware. If we're grumpy and bickering and being critical and kind of negative to each other all week, we don't really feel like having sex come Saturday morning. We need to cultivate that intimate, warm, friendly connection. 
a lot of couples, probably couples you see and work with and I see and work with, are pretty strong in intimacy. They're good parents. They uh, they like each other. They like going on vacation. But they're weak in thrill and they're weak in the third key to passion, which is I call it sensuality. And that's an all-encompassing word. I mean anything erotic, sexual, sensual, from holding hands when you go for a walk to the deepest, most raw, animalistic sex and everything in between. That's the piece that I really find I work with people to cultivate. Make sex a priority. Plan for passion. Make your sex life a hobby and focus on creating over and over a sense of thrill and excitement in your sexual life. Well, I think as we were talking about it, one of the challenges that at least I see with my clients and even friends that they ask me for sex advice is that they want sex to be spontaneous. Their best memory of the sex was at the time that they had this kind of spontaneous sex when they were dating their spouse or partner, long-term partner. And now the idea of scheduling it, some of them, they feel it's like a chore. Uh, What's going on here? And it's a really hard sell, at least for my clients. I want to hear if you have any tips around that. Well, first, I have empathy for you and for all of us that work in this field when we hear, you know, oh, but scheduling sex isn't romantic, Dr. Cheryl. And I tend to look at my uh, my patients at that point and with great compassion and love. And I say, you know, it's not romantic never having sex. So sure, I would love it if our uh, long-term relationships, we were swept up by the spontaneous lust that we used to. And on occasion, we will. Special occasions, sometime on vacation when we're relaxed and we're away from all the burdens of daily life. Sometimes we are spontaneously horny and lustful. But it's a bit foolish for the majority of long-term couples to rely on spontaneous lust because our own experience in our relationships teaches us that that's pretty uncommon over the long term. So enjoy those occasional uh, crazy lustful moments, but be more mindful and clear and intentional about creating sexual pleasure. And I'd like to share some really important research. This is by a researcher out of University of British Columbia in Canada. Her name's Dr. Rosemary Basson, and uh, she does a lot of research on what she calls the circular response cycle of sexual desire. And one of her key findings that I think is going to be very reassuring for everybody listening is that the majority of long-term couples start making love from a place of what she calls sexual neutrality. Now, what does that mean? What it means is they start making love when neither of them is particularly in the mood for sex. What? Yes, indeed. This is a common long-term relationship choice. And so basically, if you and I were in relationship, and I realize we haven't made love in two and a half weeks because we've been busy and running around with the kids and worried about work, we might literally just look at each other and say, you know, it's been two and a half weeks. We should probably make love. And we might start the process. Neither of us is turned on in that moment. We're not turned off. We're just neutral. We're thinking about taxes or groceries or walking the dog. We're not thinking about oral sex. We're just in a, in a more sexually neutral place. But we make a choice. Why? Because passion matters to us, because our relationship matters to us, because we prioritize passion. And that's where scheduling sex or making what I call a passion plan, a more detailed map, I have uh, some exercises in the book on this, but I'll synopsis it right now. Plan for daily, weekly, monthly, and annual 
romantic and passionate adventures. Daily, it might be as simple as we'll kiss goodbye in the morning with tongue. We'll have a one or two minute kiss that's more erotic. A weekly might be, you know, a weekly sex date or twice a week. Uh, Even if we're tired, you can still have very pleasurable, quickie sex when you're tired. And the thing is, as you and I know, almost never after we make love, even when we weren't really in the mood, we were pretty neutral. We frankly thought we'd rather watch TV, but we, we, we make love. Afterward, we almost always say, you know, that was really good. We should do that more often. So in a way, oh boy, we're going to get a little backlash for what I'm going to say, I think. Sometimes we need to think of sex like going to the gym. We schedule it, we do it because we know it's good for us, and afterwards, we're always glad we did it. <laughs> <laughs> that is so true. Yes, one of my clients, he was really funny. It was like, you know, if I could tattoo on my wife's hand so she can remember that she loved that <laughs> afterward, yes. that would be a good reminder. Yes, and here I think it will be really helpful for listeners for us to talk briefly about how to get in the mood because there's a what I call uh, the two keys to your erotic engine. You think of your erotic engine as a car and it's slumbering until you put the key in and turn the engine on. And most of us sort of wait around for what you were talking about, that spontaneous lust feeling. That's one of the two keys and I would call that physiological or physical arousal. Our body feels horny. Our body feels turned on. We're like, oh man, I feel pretty horny. Hey babe, let's get it on. That's a great key to the erotic engine, but it's only one of the two main keys. The other key I call sexual desire. And here I mean the mental, emotional mind part of getting in the mood. We can, with our mind, create a willingness to be sexual, create a fantasy or think, you know, I'm tired right now, but I know being naked with my sweetheart and caressing each other and snuggling in, I know it will feel good. I'm going to use my mind to decide to create desire. My body may be in a place of sexual neutrality. And to be perfectly frank, and I know on this podcast, we can be very specific and explicit about sex therapy. If you're not in the mood, but mentally you say, yeah, I have a desire. I like the idea of making love. You can ask your sweetheart, you know, would you mind going down on me? Would you mind giving me oral sex? Would you mind playing with me? Because my body's neutral right now and it needs to be woken up and it needs to be aroused. That's the physical key. And that is a huge difference from what we usually see, which is, hey, would you like to maybe make love? No, I'm not in the mood. And then it's over, right? It's just a complete mm-hmm. utter shutdown. And then there's, we just, we go about our, our evening. What if someone says, would you like to make love? And instead of saying, I'm not in the mood, even though you're not in the mood, you say, hmm, I'm not sure, but ask me in a little while. That creates what I can call a mindfulness break for sex. I'm taking a, a, a moment or half an hour or an hour till after I finish the tax return, till after the kids are off to bed to say, okay, I feel sexually neutral right now. I'm not turned on. I don't have mental desire or physical arousal, but I like the idea of having sex with the person I love. So I'm going to go have a bath and uh, slow down and warm up, or I'm going to have a shower with you. Basically, I know it doesn't sound romantic, but basically I'm going to decide to have sex. And then through the process, we wake up and we connect and we find sexual pleasure. We find the emotional connection because after all, let's be very, very clear here, Nazanin. I mean, What is the one thing that differentiates my relationship with my sexual partner from every other close relationship I have? Um, Hello, it's the sex part. Mm -hmm. So when we're neglecting that piece, we're neglecting the uniqueness of you and I. We're neglecting the special 
thing we do together and explore together that gives us emotional closeness, that gives us a sense of, of uh Less, less arguing. You know, my, my patients who make a commitment to make love more often, maybe they make a solid commitment. We're going to make love twice a week, no matter how tired we are. They almost all report that they're arguing a bit less. They're feeling a bit closer. They're feeling more happy and more connected. So back to the triangle, thrill, intimacy, and sensuality. When you increase your sensuality, it tends to enhance your psychological relational intimacy as well. And what a nice way of presenting it to think that I feel neutral versus I'm not in the mood. Neutral means like things can turn around and I'm, I'm open to the idea of maybe having sex versus I'm not in the mood. It's just kind of close the door to the idea and the possibility. And also some parent, some, sometimes a spouse feels kind of rejected and yes, that caused some conflict. Yeah, very much. So it's a terrible loop that couples get into where one person asks most of the time and the other one declines most of the time and they both feel terrible about it. I was working with a couple yesterday afternoon in my private practice that that's exactly the issue. It's one of the most common issues I see. I want sex and my partner doesn't. What do we do? And honestly, one of the ways to open up that part of joy and bliss in our relationship is to get mindful and clear and create a passion plan and say, you know, it's if I have 50 pounds, to lose and I'm not fit. If I create a fitness plan and a commitment to that work, to doing something I know is important to me gradually or sometimes even more quickly, I start to feel different. I start to have more energy. I start to appreciate the very thing that at first I did because I knew it was important, even if I wasn't entirely sure I wanted to go to the effort. Effort pays off just like it does in every other area in our life, our golf game, being a good cook, our career, our studies, it takes effort to get great results. And I think it's sometimes naive and uh, a bit silly of us to think that the one most important aspect of our relational life, our, our marriage, our, our committed relationship, our love affair, shouldn't take any effort. It's a pretty naive view, really, isn't it? Absolutely. And, I, and I'm kind of reflecting back on the couples that I see, and I, you might relate to that as well, is, as you said, that I feel like intimacy is something that's most of the couples, at least that I see, because I don't necessarily do a general couple therapy work, is that they got it, they're feeling good about it. But the thrill part is the part that's really challenging, the novelty, introducing the novelty, and they feel stuck. I know we talked about some of the things that can help with kind of introducing a thrill. What are some of the recommendations you have around recreating thrill and passion? Sure. I mean, if we think of thrill the way we're defining it, it's excitement and interest and curiosity, something that we have, you know, in spades and bucketfuls when we're meeting a new person. We're truly fascinated by that person. You know, who are you? Who was your best friend when you grew up? What, you know, do you like skiing or not? What are your hobbies? And we lose that over time. And I'm going to be kind of tough here. It's our bloody fault if we are not interested in our partner anymore. We're not bringing that mind of interest to them. So one sweet and fun little exercise I encourage people to do, it's in the book and I'll describe it right now, is ask each other interesting or thrilling questions. And it's almost ridiculously simple, but very few of us do it. Let's say you went out for uh, coffee or appetizers tonight with your sweetheart. And instead of talking just about work and kids and the bathroom renovation and whether you should get another kitten and all that regular stuff, talk about something new and interesting. Ask a question like the following. You could say, let's say we won a contest and that contest gave us access to three 
vacation homes anywhere in the world that we could use once a year. What three places would you want to go? What three places would you want to have a vacation home in and why? Now, that's something you probably don't know about your mate. You might have some ideas. You might guess one or two out of the three. But something that simple gets us listening and intrigued and curious about each other again. And of course, we can ask relational and sexual questions. What's one sexual thing that you fantasize about that you've never told me about? And it doesn't mean you necessarily want to do it, although you might want to. Share it with me and I'll share one with you. Create interest. Don't sit there just gazing into space waiting for your chicken wings or talking about the bathroom (laughs) renovation. No wonder you're bored. You're being boring. The beautiful thing about the teachings of Buddhism and the teachings of mindfulness is by training our mind to be curious, again, training our mind to pay attention to what's happening. Anything that's happening is fascinating if we bring a mind of interest to it. Let's say I have a friend who has a job and I find their job inherently not very interesting to me. Let's say their job is to move widgets from one bucket to the other all day long. They move yellow widgets to the yellow bucket and blue ones to the blue (laughs) bucket. I don't find that organically interesting, but I do find my friend interesting. So to be perfectly frank, I'd be interested in how a widget mover enjoys or doesn't enjoy their day. What do they do in their mind when they're moving widgets? Are they are they daydreaming? Are they like counting the widgets? Like literally anything can be interesting if we become interested in it. And the beautiful thing about a mind when we train our mind through meditation, Buddhist philosophy, prayer, focus, many other cognitive behavioral techniques, we can take our mind and apply it to the thing in front of us and find that thing fascinating. So at a very simple level, I I invite our listeners uh, today, ask your sweetheart one or two interesting questions. Borrow the ones I've suggested, make up your own, and listen to their answers. And holy smoke, suddenly you'll be fascinated, interested, and curious about this person. Because just because you woke up beside them every morning for the last 23 years, do not mistake that to mean that you deeply know this person. We are vastly complicated, interesting people. If only we have the eyes to see. Love that exercise. And I think it's such an interesting way of kind of exploring our partner in a new light because you're right. Some of my clients, they're going to date nights and what they're doing on date night is a continuation of the conversation that they have at home and other setting. So what a good way to change the context with asking questions and being curious and looking at things through the different lens. And I love that, that you introduce some sexual kind of conversation into it. So you can kind of like, help with like our listeners can help with kind of like changing the energy what if what if we have we have sexual thoughts that are taboo and we we don't feel comfortable talking about it would you suggest us to share that with our partner oh that's such a profoundly important question and one of the things i like to teach is i use this phrase and i like to explain what the phrase means i use this phrase dark sensual energy and sometimes people think well does dark mean bad and i say not at all what i mean here by dark sensual energy is the taboo the raw the primal our lusty maybe more animalistic side of our sexual imagination our sexual urges and our sexual identity and what i 
find, and I think a lot of us experience in our own relationships, is early in our dating and sexual relationship, the first year or two, maybe longer, we are often a lot more experimental. In a way, you know, we have less to lose. If I say, hey, I'd really like to try anal sex, or hey, I'd really like to play out a fantasy where, you know, uh, I'm a cop and I pull you over and I make you give me a blowjob and, 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 and you're obedient to me, or we might play with that energy earlier in a love relationship. We don't always, but we might. And then as we become more comfortable, the kind of first months of that lust love phase we were talking about start to wear away and we become in a more uh, home building and family building phase. Often those energies get neglected and they go underground and we end up a few years down the road where we just don't talk about that stuff with each other anymore. You probably find this with your private practice clients. I know I do that I will often ask in a sexual history interview about whether they currently masturbate and uh, how often. And very, very often, the two spouses don't know about each other's masturbation life, for example. Often, if it's a heterosexual relationship, I, of course, work with all manner and types of couples. But if it's a heterosexual relationship, for example, often he will be very surprised to hear that his wife has a masturbation life, that she has a solo sexual life. And isn't that interesting? that we will share almost everything of who we are with our partner, but we won't necessarily share something as simple and beautiful and powerful and erotic as, well, yeah, I do have a masturbation life. Sometimes when you're away or you're at work, I play and I have an orgasm and I have a fantasy. So when I talk about encompassing our whole sensual life. That's the third side of that passion triangle. One great way to create more thrill, one of the sides of the triangle, to enhance our intimacy, the second side, and to vibrantly awaken our sensual sexual life is to explore some of our dark sensual energy together. And there's all sorts of ways we can do that. The last quarter of the book is about uh, these sorts of things, sexual desire, arousal, how to get in the mood, how to um, create the passion plan. And I want to give people a few ideas so they can start doing that right now in terms of expanding their sensual repertoire. The dark sexual energy, we often compartmentalize it away from our relationship. It stays in our fantasy life, or it may be split off in a pornography habit, or um, probably the most damaging way for our relationship and our trust is when we split it off and it ends up in a sexual affair, online sexting in real time with with another person, where it, it ends up being split off into a taboo, forbidden, and betrayal scenario, where I take that energy away from us, I don't tell you about it. You don't know I have it. Eventually, it often gets discovered and creates tremendous pain and suffering. When we repress or cut off or ignore our darker sensual urges, they become, I sometimes say, it's like we cut off our groin from our heart and our head. And then it's like our groin is running around with this energy that often comes with guilt and shame and a tremendous amount of erotic power. So taboo and guilt and shame can also make us very, very drawn to the very thing that we're feeling shame about. Why? Because it's not integrated. We're not integrating our groin energy with our heart and our head. So when you ask this very wise question, what would I recommend in terms of sharing some of our more taboo or uh, maybe parts of our sexual fantasy or urges we feel some shame about? Probably inappropriate shame, but we're very guilt-ridden people and we're in a very guilt-ridden sexual culture. Despite there being pornography everywhere, we're not at all sexually liberated as a culture. We don't talk about this freely. We don't inhabit our sexuality deeply in this way. So what I like to say as a guideline for everybody, 
is I encourage each of us to step out of our comfort zone, but not out of our safety zone. So if it's really vulnerable for me to share with you that I have this explicit sexual fantasy of you making love to me while somebody else watches, that might be really vulnerable for me to share with you. And by the way, the fact that I fantasize about it, that I find that very arousing, doesn't necessarily mean I want to play it out in real life. Sometimes I might want to try that and sometimes it it will stay in the realm of fantasy. But it might be really far out of my comfort zone to share that fantasy with you. And that's what I encourage each of us to do with love and connection and uh, honoring each other's um, individuality. Say, this is a bit nerve wracking for me, but yeah, I'd like to share a fantasy with you. I feel a bit embarrassed. I'm a little bit worried you'll judge me. And as the receiver, of course, what we want to bring to that conversation is, you know, babe, I'm completely open to hearing about this part of who you are. Yeah, we might feel a little uh, embarrassed or a little new to tread this ground, but we're just talking about ideas. We're just learning each other more deeply. And that takes trust and love. So absolutely make it a priority to move towards step-by-step and they can be baby steps and it can be over a period of time for me sharing more of my erotic, lusty desire or taboos with my partner. And people can start by asking themselves three questions. And you can do this with a piece of paper. And uh, again, in the book, I cover this material, but I want to give as much as I can for people to just do right now, whether they get the book or not. Ask yourself, what turns me on? A lot of us haven't asked ourselves that question in a long time. And that can be everything from I like to be romanced, I like candlelight, I like a glass of champagne, to what turns me on is this really raw fantasy of having sex with multiple people. And I like to fantasize about that when I'm having sex with my spouse. Whatever it is, ask yourself and hopefully give yourself many answers. Like, what are many of the things that turn me on from the gentle to the to the more raw and in between get to know your own current you know 2019 turn-ons we evolve as sexual beings things that used to really work for us we're not that interested in anymore things that we didn't used to think we'd ever want to try might be intriguing now allow yourself to be who you are now and get to know your own what turns me on first question you can ask yourself the second question you can ask yourself what sexual activities would i potentially like to try. It may be something you've done before with this partner or a previous partner, but you'd like to try it with the partner you're with now. It might be something you've never tried. It might be something you'd like to try and you're frankly not sure if it will go well and that's okay. So what turns me on? What are some sexual activities I would like to try? And then the third question would be, how can I create a passion plan to start to explore these things with my partner? And then of course, if you're willing, And if you're partnered and your partner is willing, share the answers to these questions. And, you know, it's remarkable to me how many of us in relationship, we have sex a little or a lot. It's mediocre or good. It goes up and down. But we do not very often talk much about our sexual life. We don't often converse about this rich, beautiful part of who we are. I am constantly amazed and humbled by the couples who come to me who say, we just don't talk about this and we'd like to learn how. That's the part I love because we can at 80 years old, at 20 years old, at anything in between, we can learn to be more passionate. We can learn to be more erotic. We can learn to bring this vital, beautiful part of our life 
into the bedroom again. And I love that you're emphasizing the dark sexual energy because what happens is, you know, as a sex therapist, a psychologist, I have different tools in my toolbox. But one of the tools that at times create kind of like transform, like transform the relationship, the sexual energy is sharing this dark sexual kind of energy. And I love that you emphasize the fact that it doesn't even mean that you have to kind of as a partner to engage in these behaviors. Many times even talking about it brings up so much sexual energy that can change yeah. things around. So it, you don't feel, though, I don't want people to be in this kind of terror phase of whatever she or he is sharing. Then I guess next step, as we're doing it. Kind of like yes, just, of course. yes, just bring the curiousness, as you mentioned, to the relationship. But I think also the other piece of it, so many of my clients, they feel shame about the kind of this fantasies that they have and they feel they're alone in it because it's not necessarily a specific kind of script that's okay to have. And research shows that I'm sure you're familiar with it as well, that like some of the sexual fantasies that many people consider taboo are very, very common. Yes. Yes. In fact, as I know you'll be aware, but many of your listeners may not be at the moment, one of the most common female sexual fantasies is what I call a ravishment fantasy. Mm -hmm. Unfortunately, the early researchers in this uh, misnamed this fantasy and called it a, quote, rape fantasy, which was a terrible choice of word. Because when you explore the sexual fantasy that's very common for uh, females, heterosexual female fantasy, it's a ravishment fantasy. And what it is that she's alone in her in her comfortable, lovely home that she loves, and a dark, mysterious stranger enters the house, someone she doesn't know. And the key is she finds this stranger wildly attractive. He's gorgeous. She doesn't feel any fear but this gorgeous stranger comes into her house and he basically tells her what to do. Get on your knees, do this to me, turn around, do that, and we're going to do this. And they basically have wild, hot, crazy sex. So Now, remember, this is a very important clarification. The woman is fantasizing this herself while she masturbates, while she's turned on. She is turned on not of course at the idea of rape which would which would entail violence fear and 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 unwillingness that's why unfortunately these dopey psychologist researchers called it the wrong thing they should have called it a ravishment fantasy which is the woman in her fantasy life by by fantasizing this powerful sexy stranger who makes her do all these dirty filthy taboo dark energy things it is allowing her to be guilt free aha she is powerless uh, I did all these dirty, naughty things because mm -hmm. he made me. It frees her up in her sexual fantasy life to be the sex goddess, sex kitten that part of her desires to be, at least in her fantasy life. And so she concocts this beautiful erotic scenario where he comes in and says, you're going to do this. You're going to do that. Let's be clear. It's her fantasy. She's the one dreaming up the things he's getting me to do. It's actually a beautiful erotic fantasy. And again, unfortunately, it got misnamed. It's a ravishment fantasy. It's basically a take my sexual shame away from me by, quote unquote, making me do these things that a part of me loves the idea of at least fantasizing about doing. But the amount of shame and guilt people have when they have those fantasies. The amount of shame and guilt if they fantasize about having sex with an inappropriate person, their, their friend's partner or something. The amount of shame and guilt if they enjoy a fetish fantasy of um, 
dressing up certain ways or using certain toys or doing something much more seemingly taboo, dressing up like a furry bunny and having sex, whatever it is, the amount of guilt and shame we see as professionals is really heartbreaking. And I really appreciate that we're having this open conversation today to reassure people, however weird you think you are, Probably the two doctors on this line have heard it all before. You're not <laughs> Absolutely. Really, and it's probably common. Say. Yes. Yes. Common and fine and playful. You know, sometimes I fantasize about dropping out of my life and becoming an organic tomato farmer. Doesn't mean I'm going to go do it. <laughs> right, know? right. Yes, yes. And I love that you you have obviously as a researcher, you have all this great theoretical and kind of research base, but also I love this kind of practical tools and strategies and exercises that you shared with us here and also in the book. So if our listeners, I mean, I again I was personally was taking notes, which is <laughs> all the content was so awesome. They want to learn more about your practice, your book all the great content that you have, where would be a good place to go? Well, I'm pretty simple that way. The easiest way to keep up with me is simply through my website, and I'm sure you'll put a link to it, but it's www.drcherylfraser.com. And uh, I invite the listeners to go there and uh, they can sign up for weekly what I call Love Bites. I send out every week, about twice a month, it's a video, it's a short three to five minute teaching video on the sort of material we're covering together today. And on alternate weeks, I send out an article or, or uh, something I've written or published on the topic of sex love, passion, mindfulness, how to use our mind to get our head into bed. And I'd like to let people know that I wrote the book as a really as a self-help guide. And one of the greatest compliments I've got is the one you just gave me and what other couples therapists and sex therapists have given me, which is they said, I'm recommending this book to my clients because it's practical. There are exercises to sort of do a home-based study on um, improving our passion triangle. And I'll let people know they can check the website and uh, that's where I'll be uh, making announcements about an upcoming course I'll be offering later this year, which is an eight-week online program for couples to do out of the privacy of their home with homework and coaching and support because because not everybody can get to couples therapists like you and I between the children and the finances and the demands of life. It can be pretty hard to carve out that time. And, and I wanted to provide a resource for people to do deep work at home in ways that can fit into their schedule. And that course will cover the material we're talking about today as well. Excellent. So as you mentioned, I definitely put it on the show note. And Dr. Cheryl, thank you so much for being so generous with your information, with the knowledge and your time. It, it was lovely to talk to you. Oh, it's just been a delight. And like you, I have a great passion for passion. And uh, all of us can can recreate and improve and uncover the passion we used to have. And it is one of the most blessed and important and sacred and profound efforts we can make. Let's make our love life exceptional, whether we've been together for 18 months or 38 years. Wonderful. Thank you and have a great day. Thank you. I hope you enjoyed my conversation with Dr. Fraser. I wanted to encourage you guys to also, as Dr. Fraser was talking about, to make an effort to change things uh, in your sexual life if it's not working for you. Schedule things with your partner and think about various elements that she talks about in the relationship. What are some of the things that you might missing? You might miss in your relationship. Because oftentimes, one of the main challenges I see that people have this misconception that, 
you know, I don't need to work on my sex life. If I work on it, it means that there's something wrong with this relationship or the partner. But like anything great in life, in order for you to have and have it in the way you want it and keep it in a good shape, you need to put an effort into it. Uh, so I invite you to look into, look into your marriage, long-term relationship and see what are some of the small changes you can make today to make things more exciting or incorporate some of those things that Dr. Fraser mentioned. At the end, I wanted you guys, I wanted to ask you guys to please uh, subscribe, review, and share this podcast. You guys are my marketing department. This is a passion project. And I would appreciate if you help me to spread the word. I love you guys. And we'll talk next week. Thanks for listening to Sexology Podcast. For more great content, visit www.sexologypodcast.com. Please be advised that information presented on this podcast is not a substitute for seeking help from a licensed mental health provider.